Much of what this world goes through, the political upheaval, the striving, whether it be on the streets of Harlem or Hong Kong, or whether it be in the shiny halls of Washington, D.C., or wherever, there is a struggle for power that goes on. It even happens on city blocks where people want power over their neighbors. They want power over their front lawn and whether or not the neighbor dogs are on it or not. We all like to be in a position where what we want done can be done and will be done. That is a very human uh, emotion and feeling. And indeed, it is, used properly, a good one. God the Father is in total power of everything in the universe. And we are to be like Him. That's our goal and our purpose, is to be like our Father in heaven, and like His Son, Emmanuel, or the Christ. He also is in great power, and has been given power by His Father, essentially over everything as well. So together... They rule everything. Now, they don't take total charge at this point. They are allowing certain things, Satan and others, to feel a sense of power. They're allowing some human beings to be in control of some things on the earth and under the sway of the prince of the power of the air. So Satan himself has great power, and we should not underestimate that. Look at the condition of the world, if you think Satan doesn't have great power. He is there to make people unhappy, to destroy their lives, and ultimately to destroy them. How's he doing, as you look around the earth? He's doing pretty well with his focus and his purposes. And God is allowing that for only a short time, and he is going to then assume complete, or completely, the reins of power. So God is in a very powerful position. And indeed, he tells us that the righteous are bold as a lion. Now, if we are truly righteous, we are going to have that kind of boldness before God. What is it going to take to achieve that? Because most of us pretty feel pretty weak, pretty ineffectual, and powerless. And we see a lot going on and around, around us in the world that we would like to change, things we'd like to fix. We see things we would prefer to be better in the workplace, in our families, in our relatives, in society in general as we drive about town or wherever. We see things that we don't approve of and wish were different. But we are basically powerless to do anything about it, at least as far as the world is concerned. The only place we have any power to do anything is with ourselves. And yet, even then, <clears throat> we feel spiritual weakness and ineffectiveness. We feel lack of faith lack of the kind of relationship with God that would give us the kind of power that is needed to do what we need to do even in our own lives. 
you know, your head isn't very big, it's only about that big around. That's not very large, it's a small territory really. And there's tremendous difficulty in controlling an area just that big around. That includes the ears and the bone. The brain itself's not even that big. Pretty small area to control, and yet we have extreme difficulty with that. And it was mentioned, or I mentioned, uh, even in the announcements, <clears throat> that we feel old, and God's church is an aging church. We have some young people. Many of the young people have turned away. And what's left is a population that's getting down in the back, down in the knees, down in the shoulders, and down in the hands, and down in most anything you want to name. Not much strength left. Not much power left. Now how, and I have described from the Scriptures, the things that God's people are going to do in the end time. <clears throat> and we look at ourselves and think, how can we do that? It reminded me of what Paul said. In weakness am I made strong. He had physical debilities. He was aging. He had to have power from God. Now, this is a deliberate thing that God is doing. He is causing us. You know, he could have started the calling through Herbert Armstrong 20 or 30 years later than he did, or 40. And he could have called all 20-year-old people at that time, and he could have arranged it so most of us were about 33. Still young and strong, but hopefully old enough to have a little wisdom by then the very peak of life. You know, Christ did His greatest work on this earth when He was approaching 33 and a half years of life, which is the optimal age, I think. You haven't deteriorated much physically, but you've grown up a little bit. Maybe. But God didn't do it that way. He did the calling quite a way back. He brought us in here and there. And most of the church now is getting old and debilitated. Not even the physical power. And he did that on purpose. Very much so. So that he can make the lame walk, the deaf see, and the, I mean the, yeah, well, whatever. I can't even talk. Blind see and the deaf hear them. He's done that on purpose to his great glory. And in weakness, old age, crippled, sick, he can turn it around and make incredible things happen. That's the kind of God we worship. And he puts us through all these weaknesses so that we might be made strong spiritually. Because it is a spiritual work that needs to be done. Now there's the physical that goes with it. And he's promised to restore our physical health to do the spiritual jobs that he has ahead. As an example to this world. 
But with old age, declining health, declining finances, declining everything, memory, you name it, with all those things, where was I? Now I lost my memory. See what I mean? Thought went right out of my head. In those weaknesses, here it comes, in those weaknesses that we have and that he's given us, they are there to force us to our knees to learn to trust God so that we might be spiritually strong. We sometimes suffer and get frustrated with our physical debilities, but let's never forget that those are there to teach us some spiritual lessons. And if we learn the spiritual lessons that we need to learn through the weaknesses that we have, then God is going to make us strong. Then we shall become as bold as a lion. I think some of us fear what is ahead, partially because of how old or debilitated we're getting. And we wonder, how can I be of any help? And with that comes a sense of worthlessness. But you know, it doesn't matter if you're 25 or 80. You can pray. You can do the things that are the most important, can't you? Why should you feel worthless because you're physically becoming worthless? Because it is the prayers of the saints rising that please God. It is those prayers that can help and benefit our neighbors and ourselves more than anything physically we could do. Now, we need to do the physical, too, and help one another, certainly. And I don't mean to diminish that, but the best and highest form of help is the spiritual help. So the very things that we fear sometimes are what are needed to help us become what we need to become on a spiritual level. I want to pick up a little bit more in Exodus and then move on. Um, if I take a lot of time in each and every chapter and book, this could be a very, very long series. But I, I, I don't know how we could minimize the importance, really, of coming to have the right view and attitude about some things. Chapter 15 of Exodus, and here let's go down to verse... 11. Speaking of, this is the uh, song that Moses sang, this song, and I, want to, I don't want to go through the whole thing, but I want to pick it up in verse 11. Who is like to you, O Lord, among the gods? Now, I just recounted Satan's great power and destruction and what he's doing to mankind, but who is like God and the kind of power he has? Who will turn around everything that's happening on the earth? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, <clears throat> fearful in praises, doing wonders? Who is like that? He wants some people down here, primed and ready, so that he can do some of his wonders through them. Now, he had just done some 
terrifying signs and wonders through Moses. And that's why they sang this inspiring, powerful song before God, is because of things he had just done through Moses and Aaron to deliver Israel. Even when Moses hesitated, God said, Part the sea, Moses. Don't just stand there jawing with the people. Get on with the work. Oh, okay. And God used him to stretch out his hand and do it. That's the way God works. He's going to do mighty signs and wonders through his people here in the end. Not just two, but through more. Read Joel 2. You'll see that. Read Zechariah 3. You'll see that. Other places. Speaking of the people as a whole in Isaiah 43, he talks about how we are his witnesses. So he wants us included, doesn't he? He wants people in this room. Your Bible's open today. Reading this. He doesn't want you sitting here listening to sermons forevermore. He wants to see you do signs and wonders before the world. Are we ready for that? Are you ready for that? Are you waiting for someone else to do that? Or are you becoming spiritually powerful so that you are prepared to do what God has for us to do, His people? I don't mean just those in this room, but those whom He calls out as His remnant. And there will be more than this by far in whatever way He chooses to do it. But I suspect that we have opportunity to be included in that. You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them, the Egyptians. You and your mercy have led forth the people which you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. The people shall hear and be afraid. Hear this song is instilling the fear of God and is reminding these Israelites of the one who delivered them and the one that they should fear. Sorrow shall take hold on the inhabitants of Palestina. Then the dukes of Edom shall be amazed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, shall take hold upon them. All the inhabitants of Canaan shall melt away. That means great fear. They just melt into the woodwork. Fear of God and fear of Israel. God wants us to fear Him, and we're going to see He also wants the world to fear us. Now look at us. Are we to be feared? Anybody packing today? I got a gun on you? I doubt it. Why would anybody fear us? What is there to fear? We're old and weak, or young and stupid, or whatever we happen to be. Did I imply that young were stupid? Not necessarily. We're not much, young or old. That's all I'm saying. 
You can be old and stupid, too. They talk about young fools, but I've seen old fools, so uh, some people never grow up. Fear and dread shall fall upon them. By the greatness of your arm shall they be as still as a stone, afraid to move a nerve. Till your people pass over, O Eternal, till your people pass over, which you have purchased. Now, who has he redeemed in the New Testament? Purchased, redeemed, called out, set aside, sanctified. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has always set aside a people to do something. We can read the history of it and be encouraged that that is going to happen again. We can read the prophecy of it and know that it is going to happen again. And we, who are alive today, are the ones that He intends to use. We stand in the same place Moses and Aaron stood. That is, we are on the edge of God delivering His people, and He will work through people to do that. Let's understand our calling, who we are, as the redeemed of God. I don't say these things to puff us up and make us feel important in a wrong way, but they should humble us to realize that God could use such as us such as other members that I've met all over the world that he called into his church in this day and age. It's humbling that he would take the weak, the base, the small, the futile, and use them for his great purposes. But all that does is show how great he is. So we don't for a moment need to think how great we are. We need to think how great God is that he could use us. Moses was a very meek and humble man. He had the right perception of his own abilities compared to God's. God is going to make the world fear his people. You shall bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which you have made for you to dwell in, in your sanctuary, O Eternal, which your hands have established. We know from many scriptures that's Zion. Let's go to 18, verse 21. Moreover, you shall provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. But Moses was to look out and find men who feared God and promote them to be leaders and guides of the people. This is not a democratic process either. Uh, God does not believe in democracy. He has never used democracy. I do not believe in democracy, and neither should you. We believe in righteous autocracy, that the righteous God in heaven can guide and lead and direct and appoint those whom he wants to lead his people. It's the way he's always done it. He's never voted them in from the populace. We see 
democracy, which is probably as good a form of human government as can be devised, coming apart, falling apart now, getting out of balance, and the checks and balances that intended to keep a republic or a democratic process going are all out of whack, and it's going back to dictatorship around the world and in this country as well. The only time you can have proper government is when people obey and serve God and fear Him. It's the only way it can happen. And even in the church, it got out of whack and out of balance and was not always the autocratic, uh, God-fearing government that it ought to be. And as a result, we had serious problems. Now, we have to turn it around and do it right. And God has shown that He is going to establish leadership in the end. And he's the one doing it, not us. And He will cause things to be done in a correct and right fashion. It's the way He works. Well, that's enough of that. Let's go on to chapter 20. Here He had just given the Ten Commandments. He had appeared on the mountain with smoke, fire, thunder. He had scared the people. They were afraid of Moses when he came off the mountain because his face shone like he had been in the presence of God who shines like the sun. So it says here in verse 18 of chapter 20, And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood way back. It was fearful. You know how a sudden clap of thunder can make you jump, startle you. Well, this was quite a display that was put on before them, and they stood way back. Fearful. They said to Moses, Speak you with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. Truly frightened them. They had a habit of not listening to Moses anyway. But uh, they said, we'd rather listen to you than him. Now, a lot of people say, I want to talk to God himself. I don't want a man in the way. I don't want to talk to a man. I don't want a man teaching me. I have a relationship with God. Now, that may, be well, may well be true. But on the other hand, if God approached you in the way that God has approached people in the past, you might change your tune. Sometimes we want influence and power and we don't understand what goes with it. There is responsibility and accountability that is not easy to live with or deal with. But people who want power don't always look at it from that standpoint. They want honor, they want praise, they want recognition. We had a lot of that in Worldwide Church of God. People who wanted those things, but they did not understand what went with it. So when they got in positions of power, then they said, well, now I'm an elder, you better listen to me. They had the wrong attitude entirely. And we must be very, very careful with that. Speak you with us, we'll hear. Don't let God talk to us. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, 
For God is come to prove you, and that his fear may be before your faces, that you sin not. We are supposed to have enough awe, enough respect, enough actual nervous fear of God that it causes us not to sin. He even says in some of the prophecies, well, people say, well, God's not paying attention, or God is far off, or He won't do anything anyway. I sinned yesterday and I got away with it. Doesn't seem like He's involved. I didn't get struck dead. So that gives us opportunity in our own minds and logic to go ahead and do what we want to do. The fear of God is not before our eyes. So we do whatever humanly we feel like or desire or what might please the senses. Rather than fearing God and doing what he says to do and living the way he wants us to live, that will ultimately produce peace and happiness. He gave the commandments, and notice the way he gave It wasn't ten suggestions, and it wasn't done on a nice pretty day with butterflies floating about and everything nice. It's not the way he gave it. He set the whole scene to scare them out of their wits, is what he did. When he gives the law, he wants you to be afraid to break that law. And that is what is coming. Great terror upon them shall fall, as the Psalms put it. He is going to shake this world to its very foundations. He is going to scare everyone to the point they wish the rocks would fall on them and kill them. That's how terrified they're going to be. He is setting the stage, if you will, to re-deliver His law. And he wants people who have been so scared that they're ready to listen and live the way he says is the best way to live. So what he did here at Sinai was the exact thing he's preparing to do now, except it's going to be a worldwide thing, not just so many people coming out of Egypt. Now he is dealing with you and me today to teach us to live and walk in the fear of God and His commandments and do as He says and seek Him with our whole heart and then He will use us to help terrify the rest of the world. To see God's people living in peace and in prosperity and with a blessing from on high. And when people see that, they're going to wonder, how do you accomplish that? And you know what? They'll like the result, they won't like the method. Even people in the world love to see obedient, respectful, parent-fearing children. But they don't like the method. If you tell them how you achieve that, they don't like the methods. So God is going to have to scare this world to the point 
that they realize what they did didn't work, their methods didn't work, and if they're going to have to have if they're going to have peace and prosperity, they're going to have to do it God's way. It's the only way that works. But the convincing is going to be very, very difficult. Well, God uses fear to his purposes. Let's go to Deuteronomy. Let's see, wait a minute. Let's go to Leviticus a little bit here. I want Leviticus 19, <clears throat> beginning in verse 14. There are just a few one-liners here I want to bring out. Uh, 19, verse 14. You shall not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but shall fear your God. I am the Eternal. In the way we treat one another, and in the way we might take advantage of the weak, we are to think of God and how He would do it. God's instructions protect the blind, the deaf, the weak, the elderly. What do we see in society today? We see con men who take advantage of the elderly, who take advantage of the crippled, the retarded, or whatever, and try to take everything they have. It's not fair. It's not right. We should fear to do that. Do people fear to do that? No. As long as they can stay out of jail, they don't care. Take advantage of people. Steal their identity. Steal what they got. Especially the weak. Whether it be elderly or debilitated in some other form. Anyone they can prey on, they do. These instructions are against that. Verse 32, you shall rise up before the hoary head, the ancient, the gray, the white-headed, and honor the face of the old man. That is not the way our society is geared. Our society is to revere, idolize the young Hollywood people. Youth is honored today. The elderly, stick them away in an old folks' home, you know, give them oatmeal and leave them alone, or whatever. Honor the face of the old man, and fear your God, I am the Eternal. We should have in mind to take care of people as they get older and cannot take care of themselves. But our society is geared all for the children. Got to take care of the children. Health bill that's coming now is take care of the healthy children, let the rest die, and euthanize the old people. That's what's coming. That's what's written into the plan. Just the opposite of what God would say. 25, verse 17. You shall not therefore oppress one another. But you shall fear your God, for I am the Eternal, your God. So, a fear of God and a strong desire to have the right relationship with the elderly, with the weak, and each other, which would include all. Fear God in the way you treat one another. Fear God in the way you deal with one another, financially, emotionally, or whatever the relationship might have to do. Uh, let's see, 26, 
now. And I want to begin in about verse 6. <clears throat> God is talking here about how we should obey Him, and if we'll not have any idols, and we'll serve Him, keep His Sabbaths, and all those things, walk in His statutes, commandments, verse 3. Uh, notice the promises. Let's start in verse 4. Then will I give you rain in due season, and the land shall yield her increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Now, we are in the same position that ancient Israel was in then. He is going to use us physically to be an example to physical people. Just a spiritual example is not sufficient. He wants a people living physically the way they should in the millennium. He wants them blessed. I've said before, God could have put us in a very verdant, productive area with really good soil and proper amounts of rainfall and all those things. He could have done that just as easily as moving us out here. Mike could have even done it in an easier fashion than moving us out here. But he put us in this waste, howling, wilderness, desert to his glory that if we obey him, he will turn things around both physically and spiritually so that the world can see the physical things which impress them the most. And then, maybe, ultimately, they can see the spiritual reasons why the physical blessing came. They have to grasp the physical before they can even begin to understand the spiritual, it seems. Maybe that's why God is going to cause animal sacrifices in the beginning of the millennium. So that they might begin to see on a physical basis punishment and reward. Because that's what it's all about. You have to sacrifice an animal if you sin. It begins to teach you to fear to sin because you're going to have to lose one of your precious animals. So people who do not understand the spiritual, even if God opened their mind, have to start on a very remedial level. And he began with Israel that way, didn't he? And they didn't learn. They didn't take the physical blessings he gave them and translate that into spiritual understanding and obedience, did they? And in fact, they turned spiritually and those physical blessings had to be taken away. It is, and this nation today, who considered itself to be a Christian nation with spiritual understanding, did not follow through on a spiritual level, and now the physical blessings are also being taken away. It's the way God works, always has, and we are witnessing it again before our very eyes. If you'll obey me, I'll give you rain in due season. We will obey God with our whole heart. We're going to see rain in due season right here in the desert. That would not be as impressive in Ohio or Iowa, but it would be here, wouldn't it? God would have to change a lot of things to cause that to happen. It would have to be a miracle, wouldn't it? Not going to happen otherwise. Your threshing shall reach to the vintage, and the vintage shall reach to the sowing time. Uh, the minor prophets put 
plowman will overtake the harvester. You shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. And I will give peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. You know, right now, most of us lie down in our beds at night, and we're not particularly afraid, are we? We see things mounting on the horizon that will be that way, but most people throughout history, from this side of Adam on down, have gone to bed in fear. People in our cities are beginning to have fear. We're beginning to get more locks, more privacy. It's not gotten to the point it has in other places I've been on earth. Take South Africa, for instance. Nearly everybody has steel bars on their windows, steel bars on their doors, steel bars on the gates, glass sticking up out of the walls around their property because they go to bed in fear at night, every night. We had members up on the Lesotho border in Orange Free State that had, I don't know, probably seven or eight German shepherds in the yard. And those dogs were so mean that they had to keep two bunches of them separate or they'd kill each other. The people raided from across the border in Lesotho at night, burned their barn, burned all their hay. They take advantage of anyone they can. They kill you because you're there. White farmers, ranchers, are in serious danger because they have no protection around them. And many of them get decapitated, tortured, killed. And in the cities, we had a member there who walked out of a mall with a girlfriend. He was attacked right there, right in front of them all, right outside the doors, stabbed, almost died. We had a wonderful man over in Port Elizabeth, or that area. He had a little store there. His customers were the Africans around him, out in the country. And that's common out there because people don't have a lot of transportation, so there are little stores scattered here and there in the rural areas as well as the the cities and the malls. But just because he was there, people he apparently did not even know, I don't know whether they've been customers or not in the past, came into his little store and began shooting him. And he crawled back into the office, and they came and shot him in the office again. And somehow he managed to get up, stagger out the back door of the office, and make it to the kitchen of his house. They came in the kitchen of his house and shot him until he expired. Just because he was there and because he was white. There is greater terror in South Africa than there is here today. But it will not be long until that type of fear is here as well. People are getting more and more security conscious in this country because more criminality is beginning to occur. We have been insulated from these things. But it's not going to be that way anymore. It's coming here. I like to lie down in peace and safety. I like to lie down hoping my goats and sheep are safe. So I have dogs to protect from the coyotes, some of them anyway. 
because I like to lie down in peace, and I like for my animals and my chickens to lie down in peace. And you shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. Speaking of physical Israel, and we live in physical Israel today. And five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight, and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. We've seen that in America, haven't we? We've lived that. We've seen our enemies fall before us and before our bombs and our airplanes and all those things. It's been that way. Because God blessed us due to the obedience of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For I will have respect to you and make you fruitful and multiply you and establish my covenant with you. And you shall eat old store and bring forth the old because of the new. You'll have so much, you have to eat the old first lest it spoil. And I will set my tabernacle among you and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you and be your God and you shall be my people. I am the Eternal, your God, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their bondmen. And I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you go upright. Walk upright as men, not bent over as slaves. I've seen it on petroglyphs. They make figures where they're bent over and their arms are held down, showing burdensome life, whether emotionally or physical burdens. But if you will not hearken to me and will not do all these commandments, and if you despise my statutes or if your soul abhors my judgments so that you will not do all my commandments, but you break my covenant, I will also do this to you. I will even appoint you over you terror, consumption, and the burning ague that shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart, and you shall sow your seed in vain for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be slain before your enemies. They that hate you shall reign over you, and you shall flee when none pursues. Paranoid to the core. Flee when no one pursues. I'm not going to read all the rest of this. Enough of it to remind us that our nation now is turning from everyone fearing us to those who hate us beginning to come to rule over us. It's coming from south of the border very rapidly. It's coming from overseas very rapidly. They're beginning to denigrate our dollar, our currency, that which has made them rich, and now they hate it and hate us because they see their wealth evaporating. What he wrote here about ancient Israel is happening to modern Israel. It's a prophecy for today, and it's happening today. Let's go to Deuteronomy 1. It is lack of fear of God that brings these things on us. It is fear of those around us, instead of fearing God, that brings these things upon us. And this is probably as hard a lesson as any man has ever learned. We sang Psalm 1 uh, in this service already. Good way to open the Psalms, because the Psalms are all about life, and they're all about God and man and the relationship there that should be, that David and others wrote about. But it said, blessed and happy is the man, basically, who fears and obeys God. 
That's how Psalms opens, is, is an introduction. That's the message that the whole next 149 chapters are trying to get across. Is that if your relationship with God is one of fear of Him, enough fear that you will obey Him, you'll be blessed and happy. And if you don't, your enemies will rise over you. It's the lesson throughout the whole Bible. I guess we covered Psalms right there. We won't have to do it in this series now. It's huge. But that's what it's all about. That's the hardest lesson, the major lesson, that mankind from Adam to this very day has had trouble learning. Think about it. For 6,000 years, people just didn't get it. Can we get it? Can we grasp it? A few have throughout the history of mankind. But it's been the very few. When it's all said and done, and he selects those who have actually gotten it and done something with it out of the billions and billions of people that live, only 144,000 will have grasped it sufficiently to do what they needed to do to be appointed to rule the earth. That's how many true leaders are going to come out of this whole thing. That's all. Even some of those who were invited to the wedding supper are going to get the boot because they didn't come spiritually righteously prepared. And that includes people who have been called, who are living and breathing this very day. We're going to get the boot because they did not come up to the standard that God wished. Now this sounds harsh and hard, but do you want anybody helping rule the earth in a thousand years of peace with Christ Himself, who hasn't gotten it, who would get off in Slobovia somewhere and do it the wrong way and bring misery and heartache to people. We don't want that. You don't want that. We've seen enough of that. Our own government has become a tyrant today in this land. It's getting worse by the day. We don't want that. There's a way to prevent it forevermore. If we'll just get it. All right, here in Deuteronomy, I want to kind of skip through chapter 1. Verse 3, it came to pass in the 40th year and the 11th month on the first day of the month that Moses spoke to the children of Israel. This would have been about February, March. According to all that the Eternal had given him in commandment to them, after God had slain Sihon, the king of the Amorites, which dwelt in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, which dwelt in Ashtaroth, and so on, on this side, Jordan, in the land of Moab, before they crossed into the promised land, began Moses to declare this law, saying, 
The Eternal your God spoke to us in Horeb, saying, You have dwelt long enough in this mountain. Turn and take your journey and go to the Mount of the Amorites. They dwelt a certain amount of time there, and then God said, This is over. We're moving forward now. Some of us sometimes get a little frustrated, saying, Well, when is the next phase going to occur? What's going to happen next? How do we move forward? Now, there may come a time you say, I wish I'd have had a little more breathing space. Now you wish things would move. But when they move, you may become disquieted. There are a lot of fearful things ahead of us. We need now to be gathering ourselves spiritually, to prepare ourselves in our relationship with God in fear of Him and keeping His commandments, to prove us Herewith, as he proved Israel. Now, when he tried to prove those who came out of Egypt, what happened? He caused things to happen that put them in great fear. We'll read about it in a little bit. To see how they would react. Some of us have feared some of the things we've gone through on this property already. There's nothing to fear. If we're obeying God, He's going to take care of us. These things will all work out. What do we get agitated about? Maybe you don't like the way I do some things. Okay. If you're obeying God, He's going to make it turn out right. You ladies don't like the way your husbands do things sometimes, do you? If you'll stick there, work through it, trust God... Things will eventually work out. Some of you husbands don't like the way your wives do things either. It's only natural. You won't like the way I do some things. Okay. Let's work through them. Let's work it out. If there's things that's about me and my personality, you don't like the way... They may or may not be breaking God's laws, just don't, you don't like the way I approach it. Well, God could have put you in charge. You could approach it the way you approach it. But he didn't, did he? Did Moses have warts? Yes, he did. Did Paul, James, Peter, John? Paul considered himself the greatest sinner of them all. There were things about Paul that people didn't like. I knew Herbert Armstrong and Ted Armstrong both very well. There were things about both of them I wouldn't have done that way. Because I'm different. But so what? Now, there were things I can look back and see that spiritually and administratively should have been done differently that probably did break God's laws. Well, that part needed to be fixed. And we're here to fix it. He blew it apart and scattered it, blew it out of his mouth because he didn't like the way some things were done. Now, you and I have been challenged with fixing that. We're here to build a temple that is better than the former temple. The latter temple has to outshine the other. Well, what have we got to do to fix it? We need to fix it. We need to make it better. 
That is the challenge before us. Now, if we're going to go forward and do some of the things that God says have to be done, we need to get our relationships right. We need to fix things. We need to get our relationship with God right. So if there's a lull in the action, boy, that's the time to get busy. I think I've said that of warfare, maybe even in this series. When the fighting stops or the guns quit shooting, you get your MREs gathered up, your meals ready to eat. You get your foxhole dug a little deeper. You get a earth parapet above it a little stronger or stack rocks or whatever you need to do. You might change your underwear. You make sure your ammo is up to snuff. When there's a lull in the fighting, you prepare for when it starts again. And that's what we need to be doing. Not take this time to just relax and gripe that things aren't moving as fast as we think they should, but to be prepared in case they do. You know, the, the cloud would stop sometimes. The people had to stop as they wandered in the wilderness. And it stayed there until God said, let's move on to the next spot and sit a while. And that's what we're going through. He told them here, you've been sitting here long enough, it's time to move on. Go to the Mount of the Amorites and to all the places near there, in the plain, in the hills, in the vale, in the south, in the seaside of the land of the Canaanites, and in Lebanon to the great river Euphrates. Behold, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Eternal swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them and to their seed after them. <coughs> That's a challenge right there, isn't it? They got people there, and they got swords and spears and bows and arrows and stuff. Horses. I spoke to you at that time, saying, I am not able to bear you myself alone. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are this day as the stars of heaven for multitude. Didn't have anything else to do out there in the desert, I guess. So they increased. The eternal God of your fathers make you a thousand times so many more as you are, and bless you as he has promised you. So he says, go in against these people, take this land, but be reminded of God's promises. How can I myself alone bear your encumbrances and your burden and your strife? Moses, I'm just a man. I can't do that. Look to God. And that's what... All of us need to be doing is looking to God at this time. Take you wise men and understanding and know among your tribes, and I will make them rulers over you. And you answered me and said, the thing which you have spoken is good for us to do. We want to obey God. We want to serve God. We want to do what God says. So I took the chief of your tribes, wise men and known, and made them heads over you. Set up an organization, a government in other words. And I charge your judges at that time, saying, Hear the causes between your brethren, and judge righteously between every man and his brother and the stranger that is with him. Isn't that what we read back there about fear God and don't take, care of, take advantage of anybody? You shall not respect persons in judgment, but you shall hear the small as well as the great. You shall not be afraid of the face of man, for the judgment is God's. Now that's a statement that requires faith. 
Don't fear men, fear God. Trust God. Now, Paul said, I will show you my faith by my works. It is not enough to say, well, yeah, I fear God, as we do those things that God says not to do. If you truly fear God, and it's not just hypocrisy, then you're going to be doing those things that God says to do. That shows your trust, your faith, your fear of Him by how you live, by what you do, how you treat people. I told you all the things in verse 18 that you should do. And when we departed from Horeb, we went through all that great and terrible wilderness, which you saw by the way of the mountain of the Amorites, as the Eternal our God commanded us. Do you not think it is absolutely natural that God would do today what He did then? That He would take us into a place that is inhospitable. That He would take us to a place that is difficult. It's what He did before. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. People say, well, God, if He loved us, God wouldn't take us out there and do what they're doing. Oh, yeah? Did you ever read your Bible? What does He say? What has He done in the past? God does things in a pattern that repeats itself over and over. So He took them through that great and terrible wilderness with enemies. I said to you, you are come to the mountain of the Amorites, which the eternal our God does give to us. Behold, the eternal your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it, as the Lord God of your fathers has said to you, Fear not, neither be discouraged. Now there's part of God's instruction. Not just to fear not, but don't you dare get discouraged. Oh, he threw that in too, didn't he? You ever get discouraged? God says don't. If you trust God day by day as you walk through life, and you actually believe His promises, you will not be discouraged. Because you know that as you walk with God, He will take care of you. Now, how do you get that boldness? You know what discourages most of us? Our own head our hands, our bodies, the things we think and do that are contrary to God's way of life is what discourages us. The righteous are bold as lions. Because when we do not do and think what we're supposed to be, it is discouraging because you know that God has said, Obey me and I will bless you. Disobey me, and I will curse you. And when you know in your head that what's going on in there is not right, then that is what is discouraged. That's what has to be fixed if you're not going to be discouraged. Now, it's easy to blame me, or Nelson, or Dwight, or whoever. It's easy to blame conditions. It's easy to blame the job market. It's easy to blame your husband or your wife. 
It's easy to blame any and everyone but yourself for your discouragement. But discouragement is generally of our own making. Don't fear or be discouraged. You came near to me, every one of you, and said, We will send men before us, and they shall search out the land and bring us word again by what way we must go up and into what cities we shall come. They got excited about the idea here. Oh, let's go in and have that. That's a good land. That looks better over there than it does over here. We've been wandering 40 years out here in this mess. Let's go there. Sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? So then they sent men in to check things out and see what really was over there. And the saying pleased me well, and I took twelve men of you, one of a tribe, and they turned and went up into the mountain and came into the valley of Eshcol and searched it out. And they took of the fruit of the land in their hands. Remember the story? The grape, so, the bunches so big that it had to take two men to carry it on a pole? Out here, maybe we'll get a little bunch that big if we're careful. They brought back tremendous evidence of a blessed land. They took of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down to us and brought us word again and said, It is a good land which the eternal our God does give us. It's a beautiful land. Very productive. Wow, that's exciting. Let's go out in the desert. God promised us He's going to give us wonderful things out there. Well, here we are. Where are they? Notwithstanding, you would not go up, but rebelled against the commandment of the eternal your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, you know, back, they got back in the tents where they didn't think anybody could hear. But Moses knew about it, and God knew about it. They'd been murmuring in their tents. And said, because the eternal hated us, he's brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to deliver us under the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. God is, this is just a big joke. God hated us from day one. He brought us out here to be destroyed. Have you ever gotten in that kind of an emotion or attitude? God says He loved me, but look at my life. Look at all the problems I have. Look at all that's gone wrong. Look at how hard I have time making a living or even getting up and walking to the bathroom. Look how weak and blind and sick and diabetic and heart problems and whatever you want to name that I have. You know, if that's within you, God has to put you through the paces. He has to make you go through hard times of all kinds in order to prove you and try you and get you to quit whining, complaining, and griping and carrying on. Sometimes He gives you leaders like me. You have to overcome it. You have to deal with it. You might even have to come to appreciate it. Those are hard sayings. I fall far short of the mark, brethren. I get up every day 
I pray to God. He'll help me do things the way He wants them done. Sometimes I do pretty well. Sometimes I don't do as well. Sometimes I fall on my face. God works through human beings to teach us the things we need to know. And sometimes they're very hard lessons. They're not easy. But He's always done it that way. Yes, you have direct access to God, but He makes you work through human leaders. He always has, and He always will. There will be human leaders even in the millennium who are appointed to do certain things, I'm quite sure. It's part of the lesson we have to learn. They didn't reject you, Samuel, they rejected me. God had appointed Samuel and put him there. People didn't always like the things Samuel did, didn't like the hard things he said they had to do. They didn't maybe like his personality or the way he went about things or the type of robe he wore, I don't know. There were things they picked at. So instead of changing their attitudes and learning to be what they ought to be, they made an excuse of Samuel or David or Paul or me or whoever. They tried to destroy Herbert Armstrong by giving slanderous things about his life and his ways and the things he did. Some of them had a certain amount of element of truth in them. Some did not. But the point is, the people did not become what they should have become and used him as an excuse, or Ted Armstrong as an excuse, or their local pastor as an excuse to be in a bad attitude. Well, God put those people there to test your attitude, if nothing else, to lead and guide you in the right way if you would be teachable. He's done all these things on purpose. God, and they blamed it on God. Here, you put us out here among the Amorites to kill us. Where shall we go up? Our brethren, brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying the people is greater and taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. And moreover, we've seen the sons of the Anakim there, the giants. We could look at it today and say the new world order's out here. And these people are more powerful and they have tasers and guns and automatic weapons and bombs and everything they need. Who are we? We're standing on the edge of the Red Sea. Here come the Egyptians with fancy chariots and horses and spears and all these things. We're going to die. Let's fear the new world order or Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Yeah. Fear God. They worried about these things. They melted before the people of the land. Then said I to you, Dread not, neither be afraid of them. Yes, they're bigger than you. Yes, they have better armor. Yes, they have better defense. Don't worry about it. Don't fear. You know, that is really good advice. 
If you trust the one who tells you, don't fear, I'll take care of you. Do we see that the just shall walk by faith? Fear God and keep His commandments. All will go well with you. You won't have anything to fear. You will be bold as a lion, and you will be empowered, and you will be given great power, because God, your God, will lead and guide you and protect you and help you to do what is ahead to be done. How are we going to do this, people said. We can't do this. It's too big. It's too much. Then I said to you, Dread not, neither be afraid of them. The eternal your God, which goes before you, he shall fight for you, according to all he did for you in Egypt before your eyes, and in the wilderness, where you have seen how that the eternal your God bore you as a man does bear his son. Have you been on a hike when your son said, I'm too tired, Daddy, carry me? You picked him up, carried him on your shoulder in your arms, you bore him up, you helped him. Since God's doing that with you, yet in this thing you did not believe the eternal your God. It's all about belief. It's all about trust and faith. It's all we're talking about. Maybe I'm beating a dead horse here, going over and over this. But I, I cannot emphasize how important it is. God repeats it. I mean, we, how long have we been at this? We're in Deuteronomy, chapter 1, as far as we've gotten. And you know what? I've skipped over countless, almost, examples that I could have used to get across one point. And from Deuteronomy forward, there's still a whole lot of book here, and really only one point to be made. That's all. God used all of this to make one point. Don't fear man, fear me. Do what I say. All will be well with you. And that is the point that we have so much trouble with. It doesn't matter what the subject. We'd rather trust man than God, or we'd rather fear man than God. You've got some things coming up. I think they probably will try to give all children in this nation flu vaccines this fall. Now, it's been reported by a lot and surmised by a lot, theorized by some, that they're probably going to try to give us the flu and kill as many of us as they can. Now, that may or may not be entirely true. I don't know. I read the reports. I know mankind and I understand the purpose of some of those who are working behind the scenes. And I could see that it could very possibly be their goal and purpose. We'll see if that particular one is. If not, they'll come up with something worse, be assured. But if you've read the same things I've read... I've read, you'd be afraid to have your children take those shots for fear it might make them sick and it might spread an epidemic 
And it might kill off a lot of people because you don't trust those people in charge, and I don't either. But, if they don't, or you don't allow that to be given, they're already, the government, saying that you will be looked upon as a criminal, perhaps as a terrorist, because if you don't take the shot, you might get the flu and spread it, and that's terrorism. So you will be accused of things, maybe fined, could even be put in jail. And taken out to the ultimate end, killed. Executed for being a terrorist, or however they want to phrase it. You may be required to take those shots on your job or lose your job. And jobs are not only hard to find today, they're getting harder to find and that is going to get worse and worse, month by month, as time goes on. And that's scary. Will you take the shots and keep your job? Or will you trust God as your sustainer and your healer? And follow His ways? Or give in to fear, frustration, uncertainty, insecurity. Do we trust God or do we not? How many things will God have to bring before us that the world is about to do to us to see whether we fear Him or man? It's something that He has done over and over and over when He's worked with people to see who they feared the most. And there's no way you and I are going to escape that. It's just the way he works. Always has, always will. If he's going to use someone, he wants to know where their heart really is. He's going to know how much they obey. He wants to know about you and me the same way he did Abraham. Now I know. I'm not guessing, I'm not surmising, I'm, th I'm not thinking, yeah, maybe Abraham's all right. I know it. What about Greg? Does he know it? What about you, Sandy? Does God know it? What about Daryl? Does God know what I'm going to do and how I'm going to react? What about the rest of you? I could name a bunch more. I just picked out of one or two. Embarrassed them all to pieces. Maybe. No, I want this to be personal. But I didn't just pick out the ones that were sleeping either. It's got to become personal. Our relationship with God. He has to know, brethren, whether we'll fear Him or man. And mankind is going to do all kinds of things, scare us. I just brought up one example that may or may not happen, but if that one doesn't, there are a whole bunch more that are. Guaranteed. And they may have to do with areas that are more a test of our obedience to God than whether we take a shot or not. Some people might think that's debatable whether they should or shouldn't take a shot anyway. 
But the Sabbath isn't. And you're not going to have a job if you won't work on the Sabbath pretty soon. That's a test commandment. Always has been. Will be again. You're going to fear God and keep His Sabbath? Or fear whether you'll lose your job or go to jail? Or be killed over keeping God's Sabbath? It's time to think about it now. Time to meditate on it. Time to pray about it. We have time right now. Let's not waste it. As Paul said in Thessalonians, redeem the time. Use this time to get yourself ready so God can say, now I know. I'm not even going to finish this, it appears. God went before you to search you out a place to pitch your tents and your old trailers and fire by night to show you by what way you should go. He is going to again, he says in Zechariah, chapter 2, be a wall of fire around us and a covert from the heat. Isaiah 2 through 4 repeats some of the same promises. He's going to do it if we will fear him and walk in his ways. What he's done in the past, he's going to do again. And there's no way you can say Zechariah is not a prophecy for today. Not if you read the Bible at all. And he said, you know, I went ahead of you for 40 years. I took care of you. I took care of you at the Red Sea and every day thereafter. And now they come back and bring you grapes this big around and... You say, but there's giants over there. They'll kill us all. What are we going to do? Oh, man. What is it going to take, God says? What is it going to take? The Eternal heard the voice of your words and was angry and swore. He didn't just say, what's it going to take? It really ticked him off. Surely there shall not one of these men of this evil generation see that good land which I swore to give to your fathers. Save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it. And to him will I give the land that he has trodden upon, and to his children, because he has wholly, wholly followed the eternal. God knew about Caleb. He sent him in there. And Caleb was only one of two of those twelve that went in who came back and said, let's do it. The rest of them said, ooh, they're too big. They got big grapes and they got big soldiers. I'm scared of the soldiers. Also the Eternal was angry with me for your sake, saying, you shall not go in there. He'd lost his temper because of their disobedience. And God said, you're not going in either, Moses. But Joshua, the son of Nun, which stands before you, he shall go in there, encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. You're not, Moses, one of the greatest leaders God ever had, and will be used as a type of one of the two witnesses in the end time. But he didn't let him physically walk in there. Because of certain things. Now, does God set a high standard or not? 
And only Caleb and Joshua gave a good report and said, let's go for it. God will be with us and we can do this. And Israel listened to the ten, not the two, and got in a bad attitude about it. How often, when we're asked to do something, do ten object and two say, let's go for it? Which are we? Do we trust God? Do we trust His Word? Do we trust those He sends, like Moses or Joshua or Caleb? We have to come to do that. Whoever God appoints as the two to lead the end-time remnant, we're going to have to trust and believe and know that God is behind them and leading them and guiding them, and that He will cause them to do the things and believe the things that He needs believed and done. There's a certain point at which we have to believe God and not only believe Him, but believe that He has the ability to send whom we need to show us the way we need to go. And that's a big hurdle in itself and always has been. And that's one of the reasons he does that. Could Christ appear and direct each one of us where he wants us to go and exactly what he wants to do? Sure he could. He did with Paul. He did with Peter, James, and John and the, and the disciples. He can do that. But he said, I'm not going to much do that anymore. Just here and there, once in a while, will I do that. But he has appointed those that would do what he wanted done. Now, he sent Herbert Armstrong. I believe that. I believe that with my whole heart. Otherwise, we would not have been called and understand what we understand. Did Herbert Armstrong do everything right? No, he did not. But you know, he told us things to do that we didn't do, that caused us to be spewed out of God's mouth because we did not live up to the standard of righteousness that Herbert Armstrong preached. Now, he did not live up to that standard always himself. How could you expect him to? He was a man. He made mistakes. He goofed. He fell on his face. He sinned. But that did not change the fact that God called him to call us. So instead of blaming him like a lot of people do today, we need to get off that and blame ourselves for not living up to the standard that he told us, even though he did not always manage it himself. And now we're called upon to correct those mistakes, not use them as an excuse for not producing now. God said that former temple he spewed out, he wants us to build a latter temple that is far better than what that one was. Understand that God led him to lead us in the correct path. And we didn't do as good a job as we should have, and he didn't do as good a job as he should have. It says our first father has sinned in Isaiah. That's a prophecy about the church now. So he made his mistakes. 
But he also lovingly said in Micah 4 that he appointed him to be our king and leader. And then he died. Now we need to take those things which he taught us and learn more and always grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord, not just stick to the past. See, you have people who stick to the past and say that's all we need to do is what he did. And then you have those who say he was evil. Neither one of you gets you neither one of those gets you where you need to be. Recognizing God used the man, learning from what he did, and then moving forward to learn even more and do a better job in the latter temple than he did in the former is the challenge that is before us. So if you have a bit of time between events, use it to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and move forward. And don't be like these people. When the time comes to move, I want to be ready and I want to say, let's do it. I don't want to be one of those that says, oh, but those guys have guns. And they might put me in prison or gas me. I better do what they say. They're giants. God's the giant. Fear God and keep His commandments. Walk in faith and trust Almighty God. That's what Moses tried to impart to these people as they were going into the promised land. Now, we're that close to the promised land, brethren. Listen to what Moses said to these people. And listen to what we have to go through from here henceforth, too.